All right, fellas, what y'all been watching these days? All right, well, for me, uh, I've been really heavy into American Gods. So I'm lucky that I missed the first two seasons, so I got to binge them first two back to back. You know, and I'm pretty upset that I'm all caught up now. So <laughs> I'm on American Gods, loving that show. Yo, Derek, tell me a little bit about American Gods, man, because that's something that I keep hearing about. Like, I, I swear every few months somebody will drop that on me. Uh, so I feel like it's something that I need to check out. What, what is it about? I mean, it's pretty dope. It's about, like, the old gods that, that were worshipped in ancient time, like the gods of Mount Olymp Olympus. So you got, uh, o well, not Mount Olympus, I guess, but Odin, you know, from Asgard, you know, all these different things. So all these ancient gods, they got ancient African gods, ancient Viking gods, all these different things. And they're... Odin is trying to start a war with against the new gods because all those old gods are now in wow. America. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to start a, a war against the new gods for worshipers. So the new gods are the internet, um, new technology, things like that. So it's just, to me, what I took from it is that it's this giant metaphor for Americans worshiping money and technology because they also met the money god, which was like one of the most powerful gods in the entire show because the entire world worships money. Mm -hmm. You know, so all these different things, it's just like a giant metaphor. So it's, it's really dope. Like if you really look at it and catch, and just pay attention from like a macro perspective, perspective, you can really get into that show. That's dope, that's dope. Where, where, where can you find American gods for those who don't know? I think it's on stars. I mainly catch it's it on, on the stars. I, I know yeah. you're in another country, but it's yeah. on stars. And it's basically the only reason I got stars this month. Oh, about to say, man, damn, I just canceled stars at the end of power. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they were running a special, you know, like six months for 25 you know, hours. Yo, I think stars away. I think I just saw something pop up on my screen yesterday that they were doing like 99 cents for three months. I might have to pop up on that so I can check out American Guys because I wasn't coming back to Stars until like P Valley. Oh my gosh, I love P Valley. <laughs> yeah, no, to, 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 we got back down to the paint. I, I down to the paint. <laughs> I gotta get up on that show. Let's go. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Man. Real quick, before I, I tell you about what I'm watching, I just want to say something about American Guys. Like, yeah. that show, it has me doing a lot of introspection on my life. I am not going front. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to say, like, they had, uh, like, it was like a weed guy. A weed guy? Wow. He represented, like, what weed would be in society. I can't remember mm. exactly what it was. Um, and it just made and then like you know of course the money guys like what are we putting what do we put energy into mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and that's basically what keeps a god alive is what everything that you know us as americans or as the world puts into the atmosphere and you know it's 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 really dope man i lo I, I love that show to death damn man y'all gonna have me looking for that deal after we get off of man go ahead get it man <laughs> But uh, my bad. See, uh, one one thing. If you're gonna, if you're not sure, go check out the speech from Mr. Nancy. Uh, it's Orlando Jones's character. He was one of the the ancient African guys. He gives this dope speech when the slaves are on the slave ship coming across yes. that water from Africa. Real powerful. Made me mad as hell. <laughs> go listen <laughs> to that damn speech. You'll be hooked. <laughs> 
I'm kind of mad they took my boy Orlando Jones off there. They could have let him ride for another season, man. He added a lot to that show. But, uh, yo, I'm watching Your Honor on Showtime um, with my man's from uh, Breaking Bad. Can somebody remind me his name? I'm I'm, I'm not good with white people. Cramden? Ralph Cramden? Something like that? Or, I thought it was Brian. Brian. It's Brian. Brian. Yes, yeah, Brian. There we go. See? Teamwork makes dream work. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad is the main character who he plays a judge um, whose son gets into a hit and run accident. And it's not just any person that he hits in this hit and run, but the son of a mob boss in New Orleans who seems to own like half town. And so like, there's just a lot of crazy twists and turns. Um, it's a little like uh, Tarantino-esque or like the the threads just come together as you go along. It's like, oh, I didn't know it was that deep. And so that's really like my number one show right now. Um, and I'm like, they just dropped the last episode at midnight. I'm about ready to watch as soon as we get off this. Well, I just went on my Amazon Prime account and reactivated my stars. <laughs> the social. <laughs> <laughs> in there for me i've been on netflix checking out uh lupin i mean I, I know it's lupin you know but i'm an american i don't know better so when i saw it it read like lupin but yo i, I slept on it i slept on it you know I, I i didn't really think it was gonna be much of something much of nothing uh but i, I think for about a week there i just saw people tweeting and posting on Facebook about how good it was. And I checked it out. And yo, uh, Lupin is that dude. You know, I just, I just, you have to seriously suspend disbelief in that show because I feel like if that was real life. That fool would have got caught by now. Yo, <laughs> me, me and my girl was watching that gym. was like, yo, how racist are they in France that this one black mom, <laughs> they can't tell him apart yes. because he does something so simple to change his appearance. He got the same face. Same face. Time, but they can't never tell us him. Like, even when he was that episode where he was on that news show and he was uh, disguised as the old man, I was like, dude, you look, there's no change. No change from old dude to playing himself at the auction to being that random uh, delivery guy. And then this fool went to jail. No way that works. That was the part. <laughs> that, that was it. It was like all the rest of them, I could buy 100%. The jail one was a little bit tough to swallow. You know, unless like France jail is just not that intense. Not only thing I can think of. I don't know anything about France jail, but like uh, them two black dudes didn't look nothing alike. That's the part. <laughs> that, that, that was that part. Up, and then a little out of shape cat. <laughs> and then uh, the, the part that really tripped me out was like, you forgot, homie. I got these handcuffs. I don't know nothing about that handcuff trick. Just just like that handcuffs. I was like, what is this? This uh damn damn magic show? Come on, man. No, no. They they both went in the room looking different, dressing different, and then however he got yo, and even him getting out of jail, 
was hilarious. Like, no, we're gonna fake hang ourselves. Would've used like a basketball net to <laughs> prevent himself <laughs> from getting uh, killed. Yo, so you have to suspend disbelief with Lupin a little bit, uh, but with all the crazy shit that's going on from episode to episode, and I say episode to episode like it's a lot, they only gave us five episodes. That was some bullshit. Yo, so neither one of y'all like, y'all must, y'all not uh, anime fans, so y'all know nothing about Lupin the Third. I ain't never I read do. any of the books. You know about I, Lupin I, I've, ne- I've never read any of the books, but I, I've seen some of the, the, the anime joints. That, I'm about to say, man, that's that's what my man, he, he, he a little out there. You know, with yeah. some of them techniques. So, mm-hmm. shout out to them to making a black ass loop on. I fool with it. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs' victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, like, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, sure thing, brother. Oh, yeah, that's the show. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. Hey. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is off to a hopping start. <laughs> you all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami, the champs! Where we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free. We hear the bells ring out. We want the world. Speak now. But we're safe to be ourselves. Speak now. I told you. I told you. Think like we want. Speak now. Without having to answer to anybody for us. We have to be there for each other. Who's the greatest? You brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. Welcome to the Mad Cat Movie Review Podcast. I'm Sean. Derek. I'm CL. Now, the majority of you humans out there have a tendency to take biopics as 100% fact. So, 
Before we jump into this, let me lead with the following. One Night in Miami is an American drama about a fictionalized, I repeat, fictionalized meeting between Jim Brown, Cassius Clay, AKA Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Malcolm X. Fictionalized, all right? So I wanna stress that before we jump into this. On the night of February 25th, 1964, at the Hampton Hotel in Miami, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and Malcolm X joined Cassius Clay to celebrate his surprise title win over Sonny Liston, becoming the boxing world heavyweight champion. And they discussed the responsibility of being successful black men during the civil rights movement. One Night in Miami had a limited release in theaters beginning on December 25th, 2020, before being made available on Amazon Prime on January 15, 2021, which was Regina King's 50th birthday. Shout out to her. The film is the feature film directorial debut of Miss King and stars Kinsley Ben Adir as Malcolm X, Eli Goree as Cassius Clay, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. This movie is based on the one-room play One Night in Miami by the screenwriter of this movie, Kemp Powers. Powers also co-wrote the animated feature film, Soul. So before we jump into our commentary on the film, uh, what was your first impressions of One Night in Miami? It, it, it was powerful. I, I really enjoyed it, man. It made me, really made me sit back and think, especially with the conversation that was taking place between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X. I thought that was a lot of powerful conversation there because both were making amazing points. Yeah, it really made me sit back and just take stock and inventory of my own life and my some of my decisions, things that I've done. Pissed me off a little bit too, but uh, we can get to that later, maybe. Man, I, you know what? I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I, I will say that you know I'm not usually the type uh, to really d- divulge into a lot of these type of stories, but because of the characters that were at the center of this, like I, I like all of those people in real life. So for somebody to bring all these characters from my real life into a movie, I thought this might be something that deserves my attention. And I did I did get a little introspective about what ha- happened, um, kind of just what's going on. It's like, you know what, I- I'm going to just say this before we get into it. But like I, I was with Sam Cooke pretty much all the way. He was like, man, f- you know what I'm saying? Like, fuck them crackers, bro. I'm going to count my money. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was like, man, see, I was on that choosing side. Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm like, bro, I gotta get this paper, man. I don't care what the hell they talking about, but um, but you know, it really did make me think about it about a few things and just like, what's what's the greater good, man? So shout shout out to Regina King, kind of like threading a needle on this guy. I think what I really liked about it is that knowing that it was a movie that came from a play, it didn't feel like one of those play movies when you watched it. Even though it was based at the hotel, still had some moving parts. I just like the different spaces that we move during that time on the film. It runs almost uh, two hours, especially like at the ending 
when Leslie Odom Jr. is singing, a change is going to come. I liked how that ended with showing where guys uh, went from that um, space. So, yeah, I, I really dug the film. Kudos to Regina King in a feature film. I, I really don't have any uh, complaints about, you know, how she paced this movie um, or shot this movie. Um, I think it was all done exceptionally well. How do you feel about how these characters were portrayed? I, I like the way it was cast. Uh, I'll start with Jim Brown. I, I thought Jim Brown's uh, character was really accurate because from interviews f- from his NFL peers and things that I've seen, you know, and just interviews with him, he was a no-nonsense type of brother. He was quick to break his foot off in your ass if you got too <laughs> out of the line. You got too comfortable, too familiar. Like like uh, like one of the Fruit of Islam dudes, uh, one of Malcolm's bodyguards in the movie, like, don't take that tone with me. Whatever. He was about to break him down. And the yeah. man was like, oh, that's right. It's Jim Brown. He's about that life. I puts his hands up. God's good all the time. <laughs> you know, like, like that's that's it. So I thought his character was pretty accurate. He was the strong, strong type, you know, and spoke he spoke, but his words were always measured. You know, he spoke with a purpose. He wasn't just talking to just talk like Muhammad Ali's character, which I also obviously was really well cast because he just, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. He's just talking shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all, all the time. I, I didn't know much about Sam Cooke. Like I know, I know his music, but I didn't know much about his personality. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, it's like I don't know if that's an accurate portrayal or not. I was just paying more more attention to his mission based on his words and everything, paying attention to his movement and how he was moving. You know, so I don't really have much of an opinion on him. But Malcolm X, I liked his as well because I also felt like it was real. I felt like everything that the way they, you know, portrayed him as having the weight of the world on his shoulders all throughout the movie. And just maybe he just wasn't able to articulate it properly in a way that people would believe, you know, about what he knew was probably going to happen to him, which is why he was giving them all such a hard time about trying to take take hold of this thing because he knew he wasn't going to be here to do it much longer. I feel like that was accurate. I feel like the real Malcolm X felt that way as well. You know, so I feel like those those were all pretty accurate portrayals and, and really well cast. Oh, I, I could agree with with Derek on that they they did a pretty good job uh, considering all of the different people that they had to portray Derek mentioned uh Jim Brown which is played by uh what's the name I think Aldous Hodge mm-hmm. who's like who's like on the low like one of my favorite people to watch on TV um because he was in the show obscure show that I used to watch called Leverage and he was like the tech guy on there and so I kind of like fooled with the black tech guy from the show um, and then, of course, he started coming up when he got to um, to the joint with Taraji. What was it? What Men Want? Not a great movie, but you know what I'm saying? It, it gave my man some shine on the front stage. So I, I was proud of him to, to make some progression. So I want to give a big shout out to him for that. Um, as far as everyone else, I, I feel like they, they captured the essence of what made these individuals um, so unique in their own rights. And as you can see, as you go through the movie, this is really brought together by Malcolm. Malcolm is like, he's he's pretty much like, you can sense he's playing chess. So I feel like the dude that's playing Malcolm X, he's he captured the essence of like, I need these people to start a movement and I could feel that all the way through. And I felt, I'm like, when is he gonna say it? You know, 
I know he's going to say it, but when he going to say it? And, you know, they did a pretty good job just, you know, like basically being true to like what each individual brought as far as what like, like what Malcolm was looking for. So like Sam Cooke being that businessman, but also understanding like how to move people. Muhammad Ali just having the gift of gab and just having the attention of the whole of the United States. Uh, and of course, Jim Brown, who who definitely in that time was like big on, you know, racial equality, of course, because of the time. But he 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 was out there like in the streets, you know, what I'm saying like a lot of people talked about it, but he was in there like doing what what needed to be done. And of course, we all know about Jim Brown when it come later on in life about the game bangers coming to his house and seeking refuge and all that good stuff. So, you know, he, he one of the realest men ever. And uh, I, I think they did a pretty good job just kind of like bringing a, a real slice of that of where this intersection happened. Have y'all heard, and this is not a political podcast. Let me just put that out there right there. But I, I think this warrants mentioning because Jim Brown is the only one of these four gentlemen that, have, that are still alive. For everything that Jim Brown was back in the day, are y'all, y'all do y'all know that Jim Brown is a Trump supporter? I did know that. Yeah, it, it was really shocking for, for yeah. me. Yeah, it, it. it totally goes against everything that he was portraying mm-hmm. coming up. So knowing that this is fictionalized, what's the impression that y'all got about the conversation that they had in the room? You know, most movies we have protagonists, antagonists. It seemed like the fictional beef in this movie was Malcolm X versus Sam Cooke. How did y'all feel about the movie being shaped around their conflict and what came out of that? I felt like it was good that they did it that way um, because they represented two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Malcolm was more about the battle for hearts and minds. And then you had Sam Cooke where, you know, he wasn't oblivious to the struggle. You know, he just was like, look, the way out is 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 through through economic means. You know, once we get this money, nobody can tell us shit. I mean, that's, that's basically his approach. And I got to say, he wasn't wrong. You know, at, at first I found myself agreeing with a lot of what Malcolm was talking about, because this is literally a conversation that I had on my podcast not too long ago with a dude about, does the responsibility of content fall on the artist? And I think Malcolm was making a good point that a lot of people need to consider today, like these new artists. Um, you're making music and everything. And with the promise of, I'm going to come back and reach back to the hood, you know, and I'm going to do some charity. I'm going to do some, make some movements. I'm going to do whatever to make up for the, you know, for the things that I did. But, you know, and the horrible messages I put out, but, you know, you could do more than that. You, know, you can just do it right the first time. So they, they were both right. It's a conversation that needs to be had. That was my impression of it. Those are conversations that needs to be had, need to be had. There needs to be like a balance found. And I feel like that's what Regina King was trying to do by framing that conversation and focusing it on econ- economy versus beliefs, you know, money versus beliefs. I feel like you got to pit those two things together and find out where they mesh. Because there's a mesh point somewhere. We just got to find it. I, I'm going to agree with you on that, Derek. Because like... I. But I was on the other end. Like, of course, I was on Sam Cook's side. It's like, get this money. These white people will pay for it. They got the money. So we just going to take the money from their pockets and bring it over to our black ass pockets. And we're going to do what we want to do with it. 
and even to this day like you just said you had this conversation not that long ago this is still going on it's like a it's like a chicken in the egg argument in the black community it's like do we just go all in on the struggle or do we try to get the money so we can fund everything so we can end the struggle you know like what what's gonna come first and this is probably like one of the most interesting ways that you could have ever framed this conversation of course like i haven't I did, i'm not familiar with uh didn't really know that this night actually happened like i knew some of it but i i really wasn't in the weeds of this being the moment after that pushes sam cook to do change gonna come you know in front of the world but that dynamic uh just shows that somebody like malcolm x expects your voice to be a contributing factor no matter what it's like if you are who you say you are then you have a responsibility at all times and you know what i could jive with that i i could really get down with just having you know you don't have to have the whole weight but you can't act like it's not there and like you know sam was like man i got the songs i just ain't put them out yet it takes somebody like malcolm to get in your ass like get them out there bro why you playing so man I, I i really did enjoy that dynamic in the movie itself um it's it, it became a a a thing that i kept like i kept going back and forth you know what i'm saying so i guess they did a pretty good job of just you know setting it up and you know trying to make me pick sides did you feel like any voice was left out of the conversation like a lot of that was malcolm versus sam i didn't really expect Cassius Clay to say much at that point, but knowing who Jim Brown was at the time and what move he was about to make, you feel like his voice was a little left out? Like, should there have been a little bit more Jim Brown than it was? I'll say that everybody was kind of in a transition phase, and it's kind of hard for them to really be dug into where they are when you as Jim Brown is trying to figure out if you're going to go from football to Hollywood and, you know, Cassius Clay becoming champion and then going to Muhammad Ali and converting to Muslim. Like both of those people were going through transitions that were outwardly expressed. And so I don't really think that they could have contributed the same way because they were still trying to figure themselves out. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like they, they used Jim Brown the right way. I feel I do feel like they used him the right way um, because he, he was doing throughout that movie. What we all need to do is just sit and think about our, our moves before we make them. Mm-hmm. And that's he played that part of like the guy just like, man, he made, look, he's looking like, man, he made a good point. Yeah, you sure made a good point, too. Huh. And, and it's really just helping him, helping him out. But I did feel like the one important piece of dialogue that they gave to Jim Brown, you know, it wasn't a major part of the of the movie, but it was helpful if you really think about it and use it to dissect society today. When he asked Malcolm like about his motivations behind it, because he's like, "Yo, you light skinned brothers get it worse from us than you do from these white people. Mm-hmm. So what's what's your real motivation? Is it that you're trying to prove something to white people? You're trying to prove something to black people? Or like, are your are your your motives complete completely altruistic? Like, what's why are you so militant?" Because you light skin cats tend to be the most militant. Now, I think it's bigger than just light skin versus dark skin. I think you could take what he said 
you know, and stretch it out across like just examining these people who we consider leaders today and trying to really dive deeply into their motives. Why, try to figure out why are they actually making the moves that they're making? Are they doing it for us or are they doing it for them? So I feel like it was, that's why that part, that little bit of a back and forth between him and Malcolm was actually important if you just take back, take a step back and look at it from a macro perspective. You just won the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship at the age of 22. You got your famous friends with you and you're in Miami. Whole night ahead of you. The summer in Miami. <laughs> so your homie invites you back to the hotel. You thinking that you about to, you know, get into some Tom Fuller. But then you find out that you just in a hotel room with three of your boys and two boxes of Vanilla ice cream. What Jim Brown said? Oh, I want to get some. some, some, some <laughs> Let me say, what the hell going on here? <laughs> you sounded like a disappointed kid on Christmas. <laughs> he really did. Like, I wanted a bike. Like, <laughs> Malcolm Smooth set them cats up, but all of them was hurt. But really, though? Like, was they really set up? Like, Malcolm or, asked about as square as his haircut, man. You know, they probably should have known. It's just like, yo, are we really... This this Malcolm X we talking about. Are we really about to go be about that life? So, yeah, I kind of feel you, man. I feel like they should have known what they were about to get themselves into. No, it, it, it was 100%. Like, like how did, how could you not see this coming? You know, like, what, what did you really think Malcolm X was going to have y'all you know, like I know Malcolm came out to the Sam Cook show. He came out to the fight, but he's holding the camera, not really participating. You know, like you you gotta know that he he just gonna want to talk. And you need to have something planned on after you talk with Malcolm. But I guess they didn't expect to be stuck in the room the whole time. I, I guess mm-hmm. I give him that. Maybe, maybe it's like we're gonna meet at the room. We're going to talk for a little bit, chop it up, have a drink, and then go do something. But the whole meeting was in the room. Thoroughly disappointing. I know I would have been, you know, because I know the chap, I'm ready to knock something else out too. <laughs> well, the minute, I think the minute I found out, you know, we wasn't there to get into any tomfoolery, as you say. The minute we weren't into about to get into that, I'd have went and found some. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, y'all, y'all, y'all go ahead, y'all, y'all had this talk. I, I got a little appointment over here, you know, down in P Valley. I got to get a podcast <laughs> right quick, <laughs> you, know? you know. And uh, I'm gonna holler at y'all later. Chuck these deuces. I mean, I'm out of there. Yo, my man, sell cook, and I get no chips, man. Not even, and then he had to take shit because he like vanilla ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Yo, I wonder if one of them tried to leave if Brother Kareem would have jacked them up. Like, now you're going to stay in this fucking room. Mm -hmm. Brother Malcolm. Yo, I just want to talk about Lance Riddick for a minute. So Lance Riddick is the... Let's go. I'm ready. Lance Riddick just pop up in every fucking thing. He is always like the most nonchalant, intimidated motherfucker 
in the room. Of all time. <laughs> like, I don't know how this dude honestly is just able to pop up on everything and always seems to be the enforcer or the guy that you just can't give no shit to. And he does it very well. You know, keep getting them checks, as my nigga Jalen would say. When I saw him in it, I was like, oh, damn, it's Animaeus. Uh, whatever his name is from Spartacus. You know, that's always how I think of him, you know, when I see him. Like, he plays that part well, yo. I, I want to bring up just something that we haven't touched on a bit, I don't believe. And this really only applies, I believe, to the gentleman who plays uh, Malcolm X, which is Kinsley Ben Adir. How do you guys feel about Black British actors playing Black American roles? Just the Sam Jackson question. Because a lot of people are, yo, I've seen a whole lot of commentaries like, yo, y'all couldn't, y'all couldn't find nobody else. Uh, y'all couldn't find a Black American to play Malcolm X. Like, they don't know the struggle. You know, they, they didn't live this. You got Daniel Kaluuya, he's about to play Fred Hampton next month. So, you know, that's probably going to kick up again. It seems like that's enough, that's something that always comes out now. My personal opinion about that shit is that black people always got something to complain about. There are people who have an issue with it. Does it matter to you? I really don't care that much. Like, it doesn't make a difference to me. You know, if you're a good actor, you're a good actor. Like, point blank period. You know, if if whatever reason black American people have a problem with, you know, some of these, you know, British actors coming through, then I'm going to need y'all to step y'all game up. Be a little bit more competitive mm-hmm. because obviously these folks are coming in, doing these parts, and they're knocking it out the ballpark and then doing it again and again. So if y'all really got something to do, get some better talent out here. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm sure Hollywood is not discriminating or having to, you know, <clears throat> they're willing to do more paperwork to pay somebody from a different country you know, as a way of discriminating, like get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, y'all, y'all can find something else to complain about on Twitter. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's not a big deal to me. I actually think that it, it could be a good thing. And this for just for this specific role, it could, I could see why she did it. Um, Cause for me personally, I know this dude's been in a couple of things, but I don't really know him for many. Like I don't really associate him with a character. And I think that's important to play a, such a role like this. It's almost like you're looking at a blank slate, a clean slate. So I'm not going to look at him and be like, Oh, that's star Lord. Or yo, that's, you know, whoever I'm not going to call out another character's name. I'm strictly going to think of him in this role. He's Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm going to look at him. You know, it's kind of like the same strategy Marvel uses when they're casting people for their, for their movies. They find somebody who, at least at first, you know, nobody knew who Chris Hemsworth was, you know, but before that, but they find somebody and then they build them their damn self. And I can see that she took like a similar approach there. So I, I don't find, I don't really have a problem with it. At least they didn't take a white person to do it. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> Cause you know, they'll throw, you know, they'll throw yeah, some like, white people in some shit. Yeah. They'll throw some bronzer on them or whatever the case may be. <laughs> Give them a little bit of color. <laughs> you know, talk about yeah, that's Malcolm X. And then 50 years from now, your kids gonna be like, what Malcolm X look like? You know, they, they gonna be pointing to some some white dude. So look like white Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah man. 
you know, I saw people in their early 30s, um, you know, even um, somebody I know um, who has another podcast in, you know, he about to cross the line to get to 30. His main thing about British actors playing these roles is that that wasn't their struggle. It's like, Negro, you can't claim that struggle. We're in our 30s. Like, you can't even claim your parents' struggle. Like, we wasn't alive in the civil rights movement. So do you want your daddy to play Malcolm X? Can your daddy act? You know? (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? Like, damn, you know, you don't don't, don't want... Do we have a problem with Lupita playing a slave? Y'all didn't have a problem with Lupita playing a slave. Pick your battles. You know, it's, it's not important where these people are coming from. The fact of the matter is that more and more we're getting towards the goal. The goal was to have more representation of us on the screen, more of our stories told on the screen. But now we're nitpicking about, oh, they ain't American, they ain't Black American, they British American. Like, yeah, man, shut the fuck up, man. If it's some butthurt Black American actor or actress that feels that they're losing these roles to British actors and actresses, then step your shit up. Um, I was actually disappointed to find out that the Malcolm X at Sam Cooke's concert didn't happen. That was disappointing. As soon as that part was going on in the movie, I was literally on my phone looking up, trying to find out that that happened. Like, yo, did Sam Cooke really like shut down a whole angry mob of an audience by starting up an acapella version of Chain Gang with Malcolm X in the building? And was Jackie Wilson just a sleazy motherfucker to pay off a sound guy? (laughs) That shit was so, yo, I wanted that shit to be real. And I was mad. <laughs> that, that I did too. <laughs> I wanted that to be real. That'd have been a great story, because like it's it's the story, and then it's Malcolm X telling the story, and so it's like it's a two pronged thing. It's like you just want it to be true, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Any other moments that stick out with with you guys? Any other scenes that that we haven't hit on? For me, that that in that final scene, you know, when the, the movie was wrapping up, and they're in the, the little cafe area. And everybody's having a good time. And for a split second, you can see Malcolm just kind of having a good time. He let go of all that weight until he looked out that window, window. and saw that nation, the Fruit of Islam dude, taking the payoff from, from the two government agents that was following him, two white cats that was following him. And that was the part where, like, at the beginning, I said it made me mad. That was the part that made me mad because it was that whole crap in the barrel bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. always, some, always somebody from the bottom willing to pull out somebody, pull somebody that's at the top about to escape <clears throat> pull their ass back down. So that part really stuck out to me. I think the part, you know, and it was quick, but the introduction to Sam Cooke really stuck out to me because he bombed at the Copacabana and he was kind of stewing in it and then the white boy tries to give him a little shit. You you could tell he was just being a little funny, like, oh, you really bombed out there. He said, motherfucker, I made $250,000 singing. 
when you do that, you can tell me about my, or about performing and you just ran them out the room. And then as soon as he starts talking to all the black people in the room, it's like, you know what? I did, Bob. You know, just just to be able to flex like that, I got a lot of enjoyment out of seeing that type of shit. So another thing, talking about Sam Cook, he only performed a change go come on TV once. Was that really on Johnny Carson? Because I mean, I don't really know anybody else from late night. You know, I'm I'm not a big, you know, 50s and 60s television guy. But if that is true, if that's the only time and it was on Johnny Carson, like that was a little something. Yes, he did perform it on Johnny Carson, 1964. Just looked it up. I wonder what the reaction in the day was. Like after he sung that and everybody got to hear them lyrics, what was the reaction like in real time as people processed what they were hearing? I always Mm. wonder, wonder about that. I would love to hear that too. Because as much as that crowd enjoyed him, um, you know, after he finished up his first set, had that brief conversation with Carson, and then stepped back to perform a change will come. And then, you know, at the end of the song, that's when the movie um, cuts off. So we really don't know what happened. Yeah, I too would have really loved um, to know what happened in those moments after he finished the song. I'll tell you one thing that I'm glad that did not happen. More and more as they went during that song of what's happening with those four gentlemen after that night, I'm glad that we didn't have to see anybody die on screen. For sure. And I thought once a change is going to come, I'm going to be honest with you, like I love a change that's going to come. But I'll tell you, like I'll be completely honest with you, that song traumatized the fuck out of me when I was little. Because I hear it and I always associate it with the first time I heard it. The first time I heard it was in 1992 when I watched Malcolm X. And y'all know what happened right after that song cut off on Malcolm X's movie. That's when Denzel got shot up. Yeah. Um, so, and to be honest, you know, that that movie put that that song puts me in that mind frame, not just of Malcolm X, but just every leader that we've lost through that type of violence, you know, Maker Evers, everybody, it just floods every time that I listen to it. So when uh, Leslie Odom Jr. and shout out to Leslie Odom Jr. because you talking about suspending disbelief, like for a minute there, I had to catch myself and realize that we're not listening to Sam Cooke sing that song. This is Leslie Odom Jr. singing this song. Yeah, I know he could blow like that. You know, and I know my man had vocals, but to make me not off the bat realize that this is not Sam Cooke, mad ups to him on that. I didn't even stop to think about that that wasn't a recording of Sam Cooke until you just said something. I didn't even think about that. So, yeah, big ups to him. But, yeah, when he started singing, I was like, oh, man, this is this is definitely going in with one or two of them dying. And I'm, I'm just glad that we didn't have to see that. Like, I don't, I don't mind having these roles in movies, but I think we've seen enough of some of our leaders dying on TV. I didn't think that was necessary. And I'm glad that Regina King uh, made the decision not to show Malcolm X's death. Sam Cooke's death would have been totally inappropriate 
for this movie. Um, so I'm glad we didn't um, touch on that. But it's crazy to think, you know, you talk about February uh, 24th, 1964, uh, Sam Cooke was gone at the end of the year. And then Malcolm X was gone less than a year later after this night. So as powerful and as much potential as this group of men had after this night, a year later, half of them were gone. Just crazy to think. It, it, it definitely is. And I, I, I'm gonna have to agree with you on that. I, it, there was really no place for the deaths on screen. You know, especially since it, it just revolved around what happened in Miami and kind of what sprouted from that. And, you know, really what came of that is like everybody got cut down in a way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, of course, Malcolm and, and Sam met, met their demise in the court. And at, at one point, Muhammad Ali, they took his title. And, of course, Jim Brown just... He probably was the only one, like you said, he's the only survivor, you know, and it's not just because of time, but, you know, Jim Brown seemed to just, uh, he, he seemed to be able to, to come out unscathed out of all of this, but that, that definitely did t- tie a bow on it and didn't, and didn't really like give too much excess. Uh, so that was a good, good decision. I would like to add, you know, um, about Muhammad Ali because at the end of the movie, they showed uh, that scene of Elijah Muhammad announcing, you know, him, his new name uh, to the world. Uh, that happened. And they, the camera kind of ventured over to an empty chair. And I guess that was supposed to be Malcolm's chair. Um, but I do think it's important to note that eventually, even though Ali decided to stick with the Nation of Islam and, you know, separated himself from Malcolm as well, that Muhammad Ali himself eventually left the Nation of Islam. And I think uh, he wrote in his book that one of his biggest regrets in life was his estrangement with Malcolm X. Like he, when he went on his own pilgrimage that he started to see things in a different light, the same way that Malcolm did, and he understood. So I think it's important to note that. Before we jump into the overall enjoyment awards for this movie, we're gonna hand out some superlative awards. So we're gonna start with UCL, and let me know who was your best character and your worst character in One Night in Miami? I mean, it's it's no surprise. Sam Cooke was definitely my favorite character. To me, like everything that was dynamic in this movie, the Sam Cooke character pretty much gave it to us. And oddly enough, I'm going to have to say Malcolm X, my least yeah. favorite character, because Sticker was square. <laughs> and he was very he was very so much up to something and not being square with Muhammad Ali and not telling him what the move was from jump. It kind of felt like your homeboy getting you hired at the job and then 
as soon as you get hired, be like, oh, you know what, man? I got a new job. So <laughs> everything should be all right with here. They got some good folks here. I don't really know about management, but I'm out. <laughs> uh, worst is tough, but uh, my best, uh, my favorite character, I, I, I'm going to go with Malcolm X <laughs> just because I, I feel what he was trying to do. And I feel like he he took that roundabout approach and wasn't very direct because he understood that, well, he knew his friends very well. He knew them. So he was like, all right, I know if I come straight at him with this without like, you know, getting them primed up and ready and just like getting their, their mind into the right spot before springing them on this, this is all going to go to shit and nobody's going to get the benefit of what I'm trying to kick to him. So I feel like he he had a reason for his approach. They just weren't mentally on his level yet. They weren't there. So he had to take that slow approach. It's like as a teacher, you don't just go straight to the advanced material. You know, you give them some basics, establish some some foundation and start scaffolding and building up. So I feel like that's what he was trying to do. Worse, I mean, I liked all the characters. I, to find the worst is, I almost feel like it's not fair, but I guess just by default, just because I, I feel like the movie probably could have been done with, not even without him. Ah, right, shit. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go <laughs> Jim Brown. I mean, they was all good characters. Yeah. I mean, but if I got to pick one that's the worst character out of the main guys, I'm going to go Jim Brown just because the other ones were more vital, more integral to what was what was being established. So he got the least shots up. Uh, I'm going to go with Muhammad Ali as my favorite character. He's probably the one that I expected least from, but... Yo, I was totally blown away with his performance. I think he he knocked it out of the park. Worst character? Hey, fuck that white guy at the beginning of the movie. Jim Brown shows up at his doorstep, come out. Dude is giving them him all the praise. We proud of you, yada, yada, this, yada, yada, that. Got to move some furniture. Jim Brown says, oh, I can help you with that. And just the nonchalantness of how he delivered that line. You know we don't let niggas in the house. That dude wasn't shit. The second he dropped that line, talk about, you know, our family's been looking after each other since we first got here, since, since we first migrated to this island or whatever. The second he said that, I was like, oh, so your family on my family. That's what that was. That, that was a slick roundabout way of saying <laughs> that shit. Talk about we've been looking after each other. So I knew he wasn't shit the, the moment he said that. So to wrap it up, we're going to round it out with our individual awards for overall enjoyment. If we love this film, if we feel it was extraordinary, we'll give it an image award. If we feel the film was good but not great, we'll take it down the line and give it a Soul Train Award. If the film was just all right, we'll hook it up with a Source Award. Or if One Night in Miami was more like One Night in Utah with a room full of kissing cousins, we'll get that shit a BET award. So I'll kick it over to you, Derek. What's your award for overall enjoyment for One Night in Miami? Well, overall enjoyment, I got to give this an a image award, bro. It, it was so impactful, so important. I feel like it's it's going to stand the test of time for sure because it's it's basically the film version of what would happen if, and you insert scenario here. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the film version of that. So 
that that was that's an amazing what if what would happen if Jim Brown Malcolm X Muhammad Ali and Sam Cooke all got into a room and had a conversation about the struggles of black people during the civil rights era how how would that go and I feel like this is as close as we could come to ever knowing and finding out so mm-hmm. you know I feel like it's probably going to spark more films like this you know more of these what if type of films so yeah image of what it deserves it I'm gonna say enjoyment but I'm, I'm probably going to have to say Soul Train only because I know I'm not going to watch it again. You know, it's one of the movies that's like, it's good in the moment, but it's not something that's going to pop up in the queue again. Maybe I might show it to my kids when they ready. But that's down the line. Uh, but I kind of agree with what, what Derek said. I think that we're going to see a couple more of these type of like recounts of, you know, a night, day, a week, whatever in time and try to you know, kind of fill in the gaps because we do have some important moments out there that we don't really, or we really haven't explored, I should say. And it, it they, they definitely deserve some spotlight. I'm gonna go ahead and hand it the image award. Um, I, I just, the word that sticks out to me is extraordinary. Um, I don't really see a flaw in this, which, and that's the question that I ask myself. You know, where's the flaw in this? Where, you know, where, where can I give it fault? You know, walking in, knowing this fictionalized. Even, you know, can I be hard on the director being that this is her first time directing a feature film? And like I said earlier, um, I, I really didn't think that Regina King did a bad or so-so job at any point in this movie. I love the casting decisions. I, I think everybody did an extraordinary job playing Malcolm X, playing Cassius Clay, playing Sam Cooke, playing Jim Brown. That, that's not a small task. And you got relatively unknown actors, you know, even though we know Leslie Odom, Aldrich from other spaces, like these are not top of the ticket talent right now. And for them to be cast and a film like this, with the weight of playing these characters, I just feel like they knocked it out of the park. For that, uh, I have to land on the side of extraordinary. It was powerful. So many messages in this movie that not only applied to 1964, here we are sitting in 2021, and most of this shit still applies to this day. So for that, I give it the image. All right, next up for the Madcap crew, we'll be reviewing Denzel Washington's new film, The Little Things. The Little Things is currently in theaters and available on HBO Max through February 28th. Check that out before you listen to the show, because we will be spoiling the entire fuck out of that movie. So if you get mad, hey, it's your fault. We warned you. Remember to subscribe to the show, rate and review us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We're everywhere. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at MadCapPod. And give us a like over on our Facebook page at the Madcap Movie Review Podcast. Until next time, 
For my co-hosts, CL and Derek, this is Sean. We'll be back with you next week with our The Little Things Review. Peace.